0: Some months ago a couple uh, meditator friends and I went to a, a, a group um, and the group wasn't a, a mindfulness group or a Buddhist group. It was more of a kind of um, yogic breathing. We just curious and wanted to check it out. And uh, some introduction, and then we just begin doing the practice. And uh, the, the lights were out, it's dark, and it's a small group. And uh, we're practicing for uh, maybe 60 or 90 minutes. And at some point during the the period of practice, I heard a a young woman who began uh, crying. And uh, it was very evident from the the sound of the tears that there was some real grief. And in in the state of openness, in in my own practice, uh, the, the force of her tears weighed down upon me. And uh, I started crying too and crying quite deeply and it was for her own uh, grief and for what's unresolved in my own heart, but most centrally for the suffering of the world, but curiously, the experience of of uh, sadness a deep sadness coexisted perfectly with two other experiences so as i was crying there spontaneously and without any sense of self-consciousness I found myself uh, laughing. And it was uh, a kind of laughter of wisdom, the laughter of actually sensing the the vastness of the universe, a kind of grand cosmic joke of our self-absorption. And then underlying the sadness and the laughter was a deep, abiding peace, like being at the bottom of the ocean and the waves of sadness, of joy so far away, yet totally real. Why do we assume that to care requires frenzy? Why do we assume that sadness, joy, and love are in competition. Why do we assume that peace is so far away. When we begin mental noting, we use that to keep track of our experience. Breathing in, breathing out. We might say this to ourselves. And as we begin to open the attention to more and more of our experience, we begin to note more and more We begin to note everything that could be called our life. We actually note our life away. our view, our preferences, our judgments, our joy and sorrow, the gaining mind, the thought of ourselves as hero and failure, the urge to be more concentrated, the urge to be something, the urge to get somewhere. It's all folded into awareness. We note our life away. Nothing standing outside of the river of change. not holding ourselves apart Our problems are endless. Something arises. We don't like it. Craving, clinging, crystallizes. We're put back into a kind of corner of the mind called self. And so often we get seduced into playing the game of clinging, bargaining with samsara, bargaining with this world. But then maybe we get tired of bargaining. We relax. The awareness is bright, but our self and the world gets vaguer. It feels more like space. Clinging never feels as good as letting go. And when we can't let go, we try not to compound clinging with more clinging. Fourteen billion years old, and yet remarkably, here we are. intensive practice um, releases a lot of uh, energy, for lack of a better word. And um, navigating that in the last, uh, last full day is an art in itself. And um, some people are are pretty graceful with that, and um, for years i it felt quite natural to navigate the the last day and the future thinking and the leaning forward and the energy of the body but um I don't know. I had a series of retreats where I, I found myself kind of like, um, uh, kind of like popping out a little early. Like, you know how you kind of like plan when you're going to give up, (laughs) you know? And like, I planned my give up time a little early and what went from, like, this just exquisite, precious, like, practice environment started to feel like some weird locked Buddhist psychiatric institution, you know? And... um And it's kind of like, you know, you're either practicing or you're not. And if you're not, you suffer, you know. But the practice can't be the exact same thing that it was days ago. And I've not found it so useful to try and get back to some quieter state or stop the deluge of future thinking, but instead to just try to, um, uh, to use the kind of energy and intensity that's released from the practice as a way of learning. And to know that um, navigating that somehow is is relevant for for our lives in other other times when there's intensity or there's um, we're in some weird intermediate bardo phase we're in some kind of transition and the. We're trying desperately to get some ground under our feet. Don't try to go backwards to Thursday or something, but just just like try to learn from the energy surging the energy being released yeah. and uh know that it's it's um it's, you know, precious that we're still here together, you know, it's, it's not easy. Like this moment is the fruit of, in some sense we could say everything, but narrowly it's the fruit of the, the previous week of, of practice. And, uh, I was setting a retreat that, Brian was one of the teachers, uh, in February and, um, and he said something on the last day um and he said something like you know you don't don't actually know whether this might be your last longer retreat you know and uh, you know that struck me so deeply cuz i totally imagine my life. I'm going to live and keep sitting and keep practicing. And just to know, you know, not certain. So when he said that, I was like, oh, okay. How would I actually want to hold the day if this were my last day in retreat. And that doesn't mean that we have to hold it tightly or be heavy or anything. It's just like, okay, let's just give it the the respect it deserves. So uh any uh questions about your your practice? Yeah, please. I was, um, I was very intrigued by something that you said during the talk on Windsor. You said, Yeah. yeah um, so the question was around that comment around secular mindfulness and the the notion of something for nothing and um uh, yeah I appreciate you um, you raising that that question because there was something Brian asked for clarification on that too so mm, Yeah. Uh, secular mindfulness, the distillation of many of these practices into um, maybe we say empirically responsible language, is like one of the ways that it happens, which I fully support. But it's like the some of the the grandness of the Buddhist vision, some of the maybe we say excess metaphysical excesses that this this could be like a whole this is a whole other debate you know <laughs> um but some of it is like distilled down and is it's presented almost like um uh like, like evidence-based thriving, which will nauseate some people, that phrase, yeah? But that's a lot of how it's been distilled. And uh, there's so much good in that and there are problems, in my view. And, mm, Secular mindfulness is often indicted by the kind of orthodox voices within the Buddhist community as failing to provide adequate ethical bearings. And it's said that modalities like mindfulness-based stress reduction are um, devoid of the ethical underpinnings, sila, that is the foundation of practice, that is like like in some ways the starting point and the ending point, the culmination of this practice, non-harm. My experience in being in that world and teaching in that world and uh, is that's not a fair critique and that I actually feel like the, the ethos of kindness and compassion and responsibility and altruism is is woven into many secular articulations of mindfulness. What often is missing is renunciation. And when renunciation is missing, we can get the sense that mindfulness is something for nothing. Just be present. You know, it's like you have any idea how much courage and love that takes to be present? You know, do we have any idea how, um, how deep mindfulness goes, you know, how, how, uh, how multifaceted it is, how we don't start the practice by understanding mindfulness. The understanding of mindfulness is the fruition of practice. That happens a lot. People practice sometimes for years and then they come to retreat. They're in silent retreat. And there's a realization, which is a very, very encouraging realization, but it's a realization of, I didn't know what mindfulness was. And the thing about mindfulness is that people think they understand what it is before they understand what it is. And I can say honestly i'm I am still uh, I'm still, you know, after all these years, I have a kind of open definition of what mindfulness is, and I'm understanding more and more. so. as 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 mindfulness becomes a kind of uh, commodity and more fully enters a, a transactional capitalistic model can't help but be transformed and you know, do you want to sell something for nothing or do you want to sell uh, you know, the first noble truth and some vega and letting go and, you know, making peace with the imperfection of the human condition and all the depressing shit I say, you know? (laughs) Like, that's not a marketing strategy. (laughs) Yeah? What are you two, what are you two laughing at? <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> mm. And it's beautiful to like, make a soft pitch, you know? Um, like if I were with a group of people and they were first being exposed to this, like you, you don't ask them for the whole of their life, you know? You just, you sort of like meet them in a way. But um, but this practice does ask for our lives, you know. Really, it, it does. And there are beautiful benefits that come short of giving our life away. There really are. And I can be as deeply touched by somebody Uh, working in a kind of narrow way and coming to some genuine peace or resolution with some emotional tangle or traumatic history or something like that is so gorgeous. And this path is not merely about mitigating suffering. It is about potentiating well-being. It's about flourishing in the deepest ways. And it's about um serving yeah thank you please i always, uh, find myself wrestling yeah Yeah. Yeah. mhm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, So the question was um, a kind of sense of paradox of like, on the one hand, practice is this set of techniques and this kind of like chess game we play with our own consciousness. And on the other hand, there's the ungovernability of the world and, the question maybe is like, like, okay, what exactly are we doing? Are we we're not in the driver's seat? Are we tugging on the wheel, or, um, and uh, you know where you're you're pointing towards um, some some philosophical questions, and and often philosophical questions. Um, are, they're kind of like red herrings and we sh- we just put them aside. But this one I feel is actually very close to my heart and it speaks to some deep questions about, um, about agency. And if we're not in the driver's seat, what does it mean to tug on the wheel? Like what does that, Mean? How is that actually possible? Does it feel like we're tugging on the wheel, but that's actually just more of the ungovernability? And um, we're getting into questions that are like uh, way beyond my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I asked. You're really asking questions about uh, free will, and sometimes the the Buddhist teachings on anatta, not self, shunyata, and the emptiness, um, they get us pretty far into uh, a kind of. Retreat from the sense of of free will. At least we're much less free than we think. And I asked a a, a friend, um, a, a teaching colleague of of Don and, and mine, uh, Marv Belzer, who's a who's a, a meditation teacher and a and a professionally you know a, a professor of philosophy, and uh, and I asked him about some of these things and his um suggestion was uh was just don't get into it, you know <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've mostly taken his advice, yeah, but I do think that um as uh as the Dharma intersects with science and philosophy and other discourses, um, that process is, um, the, 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 the Dharma will be changed and what we think we're doing will be changed. And, um, I feel like the Dharma has to be willing to be changed. If we underestimate the amount of freedom we have and give up, that's a risk, yeah. If we just like think that somehow the implication of this is not to try and then it turns out that that trying is an important conditioning factor in freedom, that's a problem. So I err on the side of trying We've got to, uh, got to wrap up. So, um, we'll have, uh, have more time for, for discussion. Um, a couple announcements. Um, so, um, Mark and Beth created a, a list of airport shuttle departures and carpool needs. And, um, So if you signed up for a shuttle or carpool, please check the bulletin board. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.